Okay, are you guys ready for part two of Susie Brantley? She's one of my doula clients. If you haven't listened to part one, then I want you to rewind. Susie is single by choice and chose to be a single mom through fertility treatments. It's a fascinating story. Start with part one and here in part two, we get into her birth story. Let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Stork Exchange. I am so thankful for Sindel and Ben for sponsoring this episode. And if you haven't heard their birth story, rewind, go back and listen to it. My kindergartners came home and they were literally talking to me this week about recycling, upcycling the environment. And we had a real conversation about baby carriers when we went to Target to pick up a birthday present for one of their friends that was turning six. And I explained to them, look at all of this packaging, look at the plastic, look at all of the materials that were used to make these baby carriers. And then we walked through all of the lines at Target and we looked at all of these different baby items and we had a real conversation. And guys, I'm talking about with a five-year-old and a six-year-old. It's super simple, right? We want to reduce our impact on not only our wallets, but the earth. We want to reduce our footprint on the earth. We are pregnant, we are adopting, we are becoming parents through fostering, and we need baby items. And so what do we do? We go to Baby List and we go to Amazon and we go and register for all these brand new items with a lot of packaging. And that is exactly what Sindel and Ben wanted to change. They realized that so many parents just like you and my doula clients were really frustrated with the hassle of trying to buy used online, like think Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, you're driving to some shady area, you have no idea if it's in good condition or not. So that's where they created Stork Exchange. Stork Exchange is truly an online marketplace for baby goods like baby carriers. So you're going to spend less, you're going to use less. And let's face it, you only need these things for a couple of months anyway. So I love it if you checked out their company. It's at storkexchange.co or on Instagram at stork underscore exchange. And tell them what you think. If you are ready to buy, use code birthstory for 20% off. All right. Thanks, Sindel and Ben, for sponsoring this episode. And let's get to it. 
Okay. So how did your pregnancy go? I had an amazing pregnancy. I loved being pregnant. And if I had known how much I would have enjoyed it, I would have done it a lot sooner. Really? I knew this would be my only pregnancy. And so I wanted to enjoy every minute and do all the things. I took hypnobirthing and I did all the classes at the hospital and I exercised throughout my pregnancy. I did boot camp two to three days a week, all the way up until the week I delivered. I specifically remember seeing a check-in for mm-hmm. what, a hundred check-ins? A hundred. A hundred people. A hundred check-ins at Camp Gladiator boot camp <laughs> while now, pregnant. I couldn't do the burpees. <laughs> But the cool thing is about Camp Gladiator is they have success options. And so you can modify a lot of it. Heidi, I don't know if you know this, but your clients refer to you as the CrossFit doula. CrossFit doula. Yes, which is hysterical. (laughs) If you see me, who's not a runner or a soccer player anymore, I'm a little, I'm a little fluffy these days. But yes, part of my training was because I fully expected you to make me do a thousand squats in the middle of labor. And I needed to have the muscles to do that, which I would have done if things worked out differently. But (laughs) (laughs) so um, I felt like I was really fit when it was time for the marathon that labor is. How much weight did you gain? About 40 pounds. Perfect. You looked really good really strong and super healthy. I felt great. I mean, really the only complaint I had was heartburn. I had really bad heartburn starting in the second trimester and I had to sleep sitting up and, you know, I tried taking Prilosec and then Zantac and then they said Zantac causes cancer and, you know, I modified my diet. But the good thing is, As soon as you deliver, the heartburn goes away. This is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Some things I would add to that list are apple cider vinegar or even a really strong proton pump inhibitor like Nexium or something. But I'm not a doctor, so don't take that as medical advice. Really early in the pregnancy, I went to the maternal fetal medicine doctor and they recommended that because of my age, they wanted to induce about a week early in week 39. And, you know, part of me liked that idea because I like to be in control. And this way we would control when I go into labor and I wouldn't have to worry about me being at home alone at two o'clock in the morning and needing somebody to give me a ride to the hospital. That makes sense to me. Now, another part of me did not want to be induced because I knew that that could make for a long labor and it could come on intense and it could take days if my body wasn't ready And Heidi, that was one of the things you really wanted to make sure I understood is that it could take a while. Yeah, that's one of the hardest parts about my job is balancing what feels like safety and control. And this is coming from someone who elected their induction, you know, at 40 weeks for the same reasons so that I could control and monitor and progress my labor on my terms. 
So having a deep understanding for what that feels like to want, and then also the experience of knowing what a thick closed cervix looks like at 39 weeks. And when we try to throw everything at it and it doesn't respond and we're on day three, four or five of an induction. So it's very difficult for me to balance those two realities. And I felt at 39 weeks, I really felt like I could keep going. I wasn't, you know, I hear about women that are like, oh my God, when is this baby going to come? I'm huge. I'm so uncomfortable. And I did not feel that way. I felt good. I didn't even think I was that big. But now when I look at pictures of myself, I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) I was big. (laughs) I thought you looked so cute. I didn't think you were that big. I thought you looked really cute. Well, I don't want to like rehash that whole thing for you. And I know you probably don't even remember too much of it. But essentially, you went for a 39-week induction. I did. I was supposed to check in at about 7 o'clock that night on October 30th. And they called and, no, the 29th. They called and said, we don't have any beds available. We'll call you, you know, when one's ready. And I talked to you about it. And you said, tell them not to call after 9 p.m. This is, you want to get a good night's sleep. I was like, turn your phone off. Turn your phone off. And so I told them, don't call me. And they didn't. And then they called the next morning around 10 and said, okay, we'll be ready for you at noon. So you met me at the hospital and got me checked in. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that happened, well, first you decorated the room with twinkly lights and LED candles. And you posted all the hypnobirthing birth affirmations on the walls. And then the doctor came in and inserted the balloon and that hurt like hell. And Heidi, you held my hand and you were so good. And afterwards you said, Susie, that was amazing. You didn't squeeze my hand at all. I know. Because I was squeezing with my other hand, the side of the bed with all my might. (laughs) I was like, oh, she's hypnobirthing her way through it. <laughs> just on the just on the left side. So I asked the doctor because I was zero centimeters dilated. Yeah. Which let's say to usually to do a Foley bulb, you typically have to be like a really soft one. But like he was pretty confident that like he could do this. And oh, we're he like, he did it. There it he was that it was possible to get me to four centimeters. So the plan was they would take it out, they would insert Servadil, and then 12 hours later, they would remove everything and check. So nothing happened. For 12 hours, I was very uncomfortable. I couldn't sit. All I could do was lay. That was the only position that I could really be in. I listened to my hypnobirthing. I took a nap. I started an audiobook. I sent my mother home because nothing was happening. And I was like, Mom, we're not having a baby. Go home, you know, take care of the dogs. I'll see you in the morning. About two o'clock in the morning, the doctor came in, removed the bulb, checked me, and I was half a centimeter. Did he see why he removed the bulb? I don't remember that. Because it had been 12 hours. Oh, okay. So to and not I- irritate and swell the cervix. I couldn't pee. Like I had to pee. And every time I sat down, it was like it cut my bladder off. And so I figured out that I could just pee in the shower standing up. Yeah. And that's what I did. 
So yeah, it was half a centimeter. Yeah. So they started the Pitocin and I went, I went back to sleep. And at about 4.30 in the morning, I felt some, something wet kind of going down my butt crack. <laughs> and it woke me up and I thought, oh, maybe it's like my mucus or my bloody show or something. And so I sat up and got out of bed and sploosh, like just like in the movies, Niagara Falls everywhere. My water broke. And I'm like pushing the button for the nurse and I'm like, help, help, I'm all alone and my water broke. Clean me up. I to go to the bathroom and I swear it probably was only five minutes, but it felt like 20 before a nurse showed up and I'm just standing there in a puddle. And I didn't know that I could just unhook the Pitocin and the monitors and go to the bathroom. Like nobody had shown me how to do that because it was two in the morning. Oh, because they probably thought you were going to sleep through the night. Man, shame on them. They should know that that pregnant bladder wouldn't allow that. As soon as my water broke, the contractions started and they were intense. Because you were being augmented with Pitocin. So you're getting natural labor surges and then compounded with the strength of the Pitocin. So immediately you're getting bombarded. Like active labor, not like a slow ramp up. Yeah. And I'm all alone. And I'm like, okay, we'll put the hypnobirthing on and we'll sit on the ball and we'll do different things all alone. And I didn't want to call anybody like you or the backup doula because it was 4.30 in the morning and I didn't want to wake. You know, it's really funny the things that go through your head. Because I didn't want to bother anybody, even though I had paid. Doesn't make any sense, Susie Brantley, but I hear you. Because <laughs> you're not the first person that's done this to me or said this to me. You know, I'm going to call out Brooke Craft. She was just on the podcast. She was in March. She didn't even call me until she was like in the hospital asking for her epidural. And I'm like, I finally get her on the phone. I'm like, girl. Do not get that epidural. Like, let me get there and give me a chance to do the job that you paid me to do, you know? And she, I get there and she's like, you know, seven or eight centimeters dilated in oh, transition. Great. And I'm done. like, great. And I'm like, why didn't you call me? And she's like, well, I didn't want to bother you. Yeah. <laughs> Bless your sweetheart. Okay. So now it is Halloween. It's October 31st. I've been in labor for a couple hours. It's morning. And I contacted Colin, who was your backup doula, and mm-hmm. I told her it was time to come in. What she was arrived. wrong with, was this when my kids had chicken pox? Yes, chicken pox, strep throat. You thought... Was I sick too? You were, which is why we had arranged for Colin. But then I think that you realized you weren't contagious and you could come. So I had two doulas. Two doulas. Two doulas. Okay. Two doulas. I'm kind of like remembering. I was like, I can't, I know my, this is like Halloween last year is like around when my kids got chicken pox yes. <laughs> for everyone. No, I didn't vaccinate them. Get over it. You know? So they naturally got chicken pox. Um, so I was trying to remember like, you know, what, what went down, but then I was sick, but I already had chicken pox. So that wasn't it. I guess I can't remember. Colin and I came in costume. Yes, you yeah. guys were dressed as unicorns, which is so appropriate because my baby's nursery theme is unicorns. 
And the Aww. reason is because I am a fourth generation charlatan, which makes me a unicorn. And now she is a fifth generation charlatan. Wow. I love it. So we picked really the perfect costumes. Mm-hmm. Did no, you already have an epidural when we got there? I don't remember. This is when Blackout Susie takes over. I think you already had an epidural. I, I, I'm pretty sure I waited until Colin arrived. And then I told her, I can't do this. It, 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 I'm like half a centimeter dilated. And I know that this is going to be hours and hours and hours and hours. And I, I just don't think I can do it. All my memories are coming back. Well, Colin got there soon after all of this water breaking thing went on. And she was with you through your epidural. And then I came to visit you guys because I had already handed the birth off to Colin because everyone was sick. So I was going to then go to your birth, but then I had already given it to Colin and I didn't want to make anything more confusing. So I just came to visit you. You came to visit and you brought an intern with you. And I knew you were going to do that. And I was super excited because you guys were going to get to practice things on me. But by the time you showed up, I was stuck in bed with an epidural and I felt so bad because I was like, you can't do things. Eh, She learned (laughs) plenty. She learned plenty. So, yeah. So I came to check on you and you were already in bed with your epidural and Colin was taking care of you because you were put in this impossible situation. Your, Your body was not ready for labor. The medical community kind of pushed you into this, you know, Mm -hmm. for, for there are, there's data behind that, right? Like because of your age, they kind of pushed you into this thing. Your, your cervix was just not ripe and ready, no matter what they put at it. And then your water breaks prematurely, let's say, because you're not in labor, your water breaks, then it pushes you into this hard labor Mm -hmm. But the hard labor was just trying to thin your cervix out. It wasn't at the point of dilating the cervix yet and getting Sage in a good position. So you had a lot of things stacked against you. I think you did a good thing by choosing the epidural when you did. Just like, hey, I've been here for a couple of days. I just need to take a rest here and see what happens. So you were able to sleep or rest? Yeah. So I rested and sent Colin home. I was like, nothing's happening. Mom's here with me. I'll rotate every now and then because if you lay on one side too long, then it gets really painful. It's like the medicine from the epidural pulls down, the gravity pulls it down and you go numb on that side. And then the high side is in pain. It's all really kind of blurry after this. I don't know when Colin came back. Um, I do. It was about 7 p.m. Okay, well, then before she came back, the epidural stopped working. And that was excruciating. And it felt like the baby was trying to come out my butt. Yeah. Let me tell you, I wrote about this extensively in my book. The epidural failure rate is somewhere between 12 and 15%. So we talk about it when we do our prenatals. If you get an epidural, there's a chance that it will fail. It will have to be replaced. You may have to push your button. There's nothing I can do to prepare anyone in advance, though, for what that might feel like <laughs> when you're asleep, <laughs> when you go from like asleep in bed, feeling mostly nothing to like a watermelon in your rectum and the, the pain of the surges coming back to life. Yeah. 
And apparently I tried to do the hypnobirthing. Um, I don't remember this, but my mother told me that I would get about 10 minutes into it and I would turn it off because the lady's voice was annoying me. (laughs) (laughs) So I paid all this money to take hypnobirthing classes. So to me, that sounds like transition. Do you remember how far dilated your cervix was at that point? 4.5 4.5 centimeters. Oh, so you weren't in transition, but <laughs> just the irritability of labor. <laughs> Mid-roll. Just wanted to take a quick little break and remind you of a couple things. One, if you are looking for reducing that impact on the environment, saving money for these baby items that you're only going to use a few times, make sure to use code birthstory when you visit storkexchange.co so that Sindel and Ben will give you 20% off of your order. You can also follow them on Instagram at stork underscore exchange. And while we're talking about Instagram, don't forget to push pause and please follow me on Instagram at birthstorypodcast. All right, let's get back to this incredible birth story. So you were four and a half centimeters dilated, hours and hours and hours, days and days and days later. It was like five o'clock on Halloween. So, I mean, it's like 12 hours after my water had broken. Right. But we're on day three at the hospital, right? No, because I I checked in at noon on the 30th and we're up to 5 p.m. on Halloween. Okay. So second day, but you know, second day. Okay. So apparently Colin kept texting to see if I wanted her to come back in. She did a hundred times. I also do not remember this. And I kept telling her, no, you did. Apparently she contacted you and you said, she's go. I said, I don't give a shit what she says. Go get out. Go. Bye. If you don't go, I'm going, but go. I knew that you had like passed the point of like rational thinking. I'm like, you've paid for a doula. You've sent her away. Your epidural's not working. Like you're refusing help. I'm like, just go, just go. So she went. So she arrived about 7 p.m. Yeah, that's what they tell me. I I do remember asking Colin to count backwards with each contraction. Okay. My contractions were about a minute long and maybe two minutes apart. And it was really helpful for her to just count 60 59, 58, so that I knew how much longer I knew I can do anything for a minute. Okay. I have no idea how many hours I made her do that. So did they come and replace your epidural? Oh, they did. They did. They replaced it. But But it never fully take the pain away. I was still in pain. Um, And I kept hitting that button for the extra. I don't know that it did much. Yeah. I'm going to be gentle with what I say here. Yes. If anyone listening finds themselves in this position, stop hitting the extra epidural (laughs) button and start hitting your red nurse button and say, I paid for an epidural and you're going to take it out and you're going to replace it and you're going to do that until it works over and over again. I think it did. I mean, it took some of the pain away. No, it should take all of the pain away. The Uh only thing that you should feel is pressure. Pressure. You shouldn't feel pain. You should just feel pressure. Pressure in my butt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was the worst. And I thought, 
I know physically, anatomically, she can't come out my butt. (laughs) (laughs) It really feels like she's trying. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry. You shouldn't have felt pain with an epidural. They should have replaced it several times until you only felt pressure. But here we are. Here we are. So the Pitocin has been maxed out for most of the day. I had really been hoping that we'd be able to turn it off and let my body take over because it was just so intense. And um, I want to say at about nine o'clock at night, they checked me again and I was seven centimeters dilated. Finally. No, no, no. Five, five. Sorry. Five. I love five. (laughs) Five. (laughs) 80% effaced and a negative one station. So, so still a long way to go. A long way to go. At 1045, again, I don't remember any of this. These are just the notes I was given. My temperature was 101.6. Mm-hmm. So they inserted an IUPC and they gave me Tylenol and antibiotics. So this is because you developed a condition called chorioamnionitis which is an infection around the amniotic fluid and around the placenta that affects mom and baby. So Sage's heart rate would have been accelerated also with your temperature. And it's because your water had been broken for an extended period of time, that risk goes up. And an IUPC is an intrauterine pressure catheter. That's the best way to monitor Sage's heart rate and to measure the intensity of your contractions. So that way we get to know from an internal perspective how much pressure the contraction with the Pitocin is actually producing. So we can know, are your contractions, and let's air quote, adequate, right? If they're not adequate, then maybe they increase the Pitocin even more. Well, at this point, I was between six and seven centimeters dilated. Mm -hmm. So we're getting somewhere. I really don't remember the rest of labor, but I have flashes of memories. I remember I was really, really thirsty and I kept asking for popsicles and water. And Colin kept telling me to just take baby sips of the water. And I would lie to her and tell her, I promise I'm just going to take a baby sip. And then I would gulp the entire thing. (laughs) Because she knew you're on your way to a C-section. And she knew I was going to throw up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I was like, exactly. So, yeah, I vomited. And then I started shaking, like shivering uncontrollably. I could not stop shaking. I was so cold and I kept begging for blankets and they would bring blankets and they wrapped me up like a mummy. And I said, there's a draft. I can feel a draft. It's so cold in here. And they were like, no, Susie, there's no draft. And I said, tuck me in. You know, there's there's holes in the blanket. Get me more blankets. And it turns out I wasn't freezing. My temperature was 103. Yeah, it's so scary. So they came in and they took all the blankets off and they packed me in ice. Mm -hmm. And once that ice hit my skin, I realized how hot I was. Yeah. The doctor came in and she said, the baby is in tachycardia. Mm -hmm. My recommendation is that we perform a C-section. And I didn't even let her finish her sentence. I said, do it. Yeah. Oh, that must have been so scary, Susie. Actually, 
I wished that I had asked for it earlier okay. because I had been in so much pain. I was just like, I just want this to be over with. Yeah. So they went over the consent forms with me and I don't remember this, but apparently they asked me what the baby's name was. And I said, I'm not telling. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. (laughs) I had been keeping it a secret from everyone. Mm -hmm. And they said, if something happens to you in surgery, the name going on the birth certificate is I'm not telling. (laughs) I said, okay. (laughs) Do it. So they wheeled me into the OR and the um, anesthesiologist was there and I don't know what he gave me, but instantly all the pain I had been having was gone. And I said, why, why didn't you do that like 12 hours ago? And he said, because you wouldn't have been able to push. Yeah. So I had a beautiful C-section. They, you know, explained everything to me and told me what was going on. Sage was born at 2.45 in the morning and they lifted her up over the the sheet so I could see her. And then they cut the cord and they took her away to go weigh her and they cleaned her off and handed her to my mom. And then my mom asked what her name was. Mm. Something that really surprised me is that I did not have the emotional response that I was expecting. I mean, every time I've seen a birth video or a movie, I cry when the baby's born. And I was just like, oh, cool. She's here. You were drugged. You were exhausted. You were tired. And you had just had major abdominal surgery. I cannot tell you how many moms I've interviewed on this podcast that have said the exact same thing, that they just felt completely disconnected. I feel disconnected. I mean, we bonded. I didn't have any issues there, but I just, I was expecting a wave of emotion and it was just like, okay, cool. What's next? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, they had to take Sage to the NICU for the first 36 hours because of the choreo infection. She was healthy. She was eight pounds, one ounce, which was way bigger than I was expecting. But they wanted to monitor her and they wanted to give her antibiotics. Yeah. And so we were separated and that was actually a good thing because I was able to rest. So I got to my recovery room. I sent my mom home to to go to sleep and take care of the dogs and I slept. Mm -hmm. You probably don't even remember this. I came in the morning and um, helped you pump. And you were totally out of it on drugs. I was like, she's never going to remember that I was here. So I don't even know if you remember that I was there, but I came in the morning right after your C-section and I helped you pump. I don't remember you helping me pump though. I went and got you a pumping bra. If you, if you have that, that was a gift from me. Yeah, that's right. And, um, but you were completely out of it on drugs. And I was like, she's never going to remember my presence here, but you looked like you were doing Okay. You know, was I was good. worried about how you were, but you looked like you were doing I was okay. starving in the morning, though. I was so glad when they let me eat. So let's talk about going home, mm-hmm. not planning for a cesarean section, actually the opposite, doing hypnobirthing. Mm-hmm. And you're a single mom, but you had help from your mother, which is such an incredible blessing. 
But what I want, you are such a great teacher, Susie. I really want to hear from you on how you helped your body heal, how you took care of your body in that postpartum period, recovering from a cesarean section. The number one thing I can advise is for you to stay fit during your pregnancy. I think all of those squats and push-ups made me stronger and able to recover from the C-section. It is really difficult to get out of bed by yourself. And so I figured out a way to slither down the side of my bed onto the floor into a squat and then push myself up. That way I didn't have to use any of my abdominal muscles. Smart. And when you're seated and you need to get up, you need those arm muscles to be able to push yourself up. Yeah. Anything to not engage your core. I also asked the doctor for a belly band because I felt like it provided like support and compression. Mm-hmm. And just kind of helped provide the extra support I needed for moving. Yeah. So was it like a big Velcro one? It was a big Velcro one. So I had, I would lay down on the floor when I would put it on and I would squeeze it as tight as I possibly could. And then I would roll, I would throw myself over onto my side so that I could use my arms to push myself back up and get into the squat position so that I could then stand up again. And hence comes the stay fit and do a million squats throughout your pregnancy. Yes. Amazing. So what was it like to take care of a newborn while recovering from abdominal surgery? My mom stayed with me for the first two weeks. You're not allowed to drive for two weeks after you have a C-section. I think part of that is because you're on painkillers. However, I did not take the opioids I just took Tylenol and ibuprofen. You're crazy, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Said no one that ever had a C-section, you know. (laughs) I love opioids, don't get me wrong, but I felt like it kind of made my head fuzzy and I had a newborn. And so I just stayed on top of the Tylenol and ibuprofen. I just alternated it every like four hours. And as long as you take it before you start feeling the pain, you're good. How about nursing and milk supply? Nursing didn't go great for me. I made a couple of mistakes. One, I didn't take the nursing classes. I think I should have. I got some bad advice from a coworker. She said, you don't have to take the breastfeeding classes because they come to your room and they tell you to do all that stuff. And I I think, you know, I, I should have done better research in advance. I was separated from Sage for the first 36 hours. And that's it right there. They told me to pump every three hours. I was pretty exhausted and on drugs immediately after surgery. And I thought that meant every three hours when I was awake. I didn't know I was supposed to wake up in the middle of the night and pump. Fair assumption. (laughs) So my milk didn't come in for like almost a week. And since Sage had gone to the NICU, they already had her on formula. And so we supplemented. I pumped, I tried to nurse, we supplemented with formula. I did go to a lactation consultant a couple of times where you nurse, first they weigh the baby naked and then you nurse on one side and then they weigh the baby 
and they can tell you how much the baby got. And then you nurse on the other side and they weigh them again. And so that'll give you an idea of how much you're producing. I think over a period of like three months, the most I ever got from a pumping session was two ounces, which is not much. Mm-mm. And I kept at it. But when I went back to work, I hated pumping in the office. In fact, my second day back at work, I had the door closed, I had the curtains shut, had the pumping bra on, I'm pumping away, and the fire alarm goes off. No. Oh, shit. (laughs) I just run out there with the pump on, Madonna style. Disassemble everything. Yeah. Put my dress back on. <laughs> I totally want to break out Madonna's song right now, but I don't remember what song that was where she had the cone. It was Vogue. Vogue, yes. <laughs> Strike a pose. There's oh, nothing yeah. to it. Somebody had burnt popcorn on a different floor in the office building and the fire alarm went off. Oh, so was that the end of it for you? I stuck to it for about a month at work and then I just gave up. And that was like the end of February. If I had known there was going to be a worldwide pandemic and I was going to be working from home for the next seven months, probably would have stuck with it (laughs) because it would be so much easier to just nurse my baby on demand because I'm at home. If only we had a crystal ball, you know, (laughs) so. No, the doctor told me there is benefit, even if you're only getting a little bit, there is still benefit, health benefits to the baby. And he also told me the health of the mother is important and that if you're no longer enjoying it, your baby's no longer enjoying it. Um, it's better, you know, to have a happy mom mm-hmm. than a frustrated and upset mom. A happy so. mom is a healthy baby. Yeah. You know, well, I've loved these two interviews with you. So in the first episode, we went through like all of the ins and outs of choosing to be a single mom and going through the whole process of insemination. And then in this episode with your birth story, before we hang up, though, I just have two final questions. Yes. Single girl to single girl. Mm-hmm. What is the best part about being a single mom? I get to do everything my way. I don't have to compromise with anyone. I like it. You know, I was really fearful that I would not, you know, ever be able to be single Susie anymore, that I wouldn't have my me time. The people that co-parent, you know, the kids go to dad's house every other weekend or whatever. But a friend of mine said, I hate when my kids go to their dad's house. I'm worried about my kids. I think about them the entire time that, that they're there. And so, you know, I would love if I were single and I could have my kids all the time. So it's really about perspective. Turns out, Sage goes to her grandma's house every Sunday through Tuesday. So I still have my me time. We're co-parenting with Bammy. We are co-parenting with Bammy. <laughs> it is. I am one of those single women whose kids go to their other parents' house. And I am very sad when they are gone. They're gone tonight. And I'm, I'm really sad. So I wish I could parent them 100% of their life. 
So there's definitely some good benefits. I will never forget my husband saying to me, well, Heidi, there's your way and then there's my way and they're both right ways. And I remember being like, no, (laughs) this is how you change a diaper, actually. You know what I mean? So you don't ever have to have those kinds of dramatic discussions. Completely trust my mother and I don't worry at all when Sage is with her. Yeah. And my mom's really good about updating me. Like I got a text today that said she had three poops. Good. Was it like poop emoji, poop emoji, poop emoji? <laughs> she doesn't know how to do emojis. <laughs> I love it. We also forgot to tell, I'm just going to throw this in. This is mm-hmm. for Colin. Your mom got shushed in the birth room by Colin. <laughs> we didn't talk about this. But since we're memorializing this birth story... Yes. For Sage, let's be real. This this whole recording is for Sage. Sage, you need to know that your Bammy got shushed in the birth room by the doula. That's all. That's all we need to say about that. I don't know what was happening, but apparently your mom was like hovering was over the monitors. Yes, she was she was watching the monitors. Yeah. And was very nervous. And Colin was, was like, nervous. Go read your book, I think she yep. said to her. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Oh goodness. Well, Susie, it's been such a great evening with you and just kind of hearing parts of your story and never even got to hear as even your doula that went through your pregnancy with you. Before you go, though, what's your favorite baby product? My favorite baby product is the Owlette sock. Ooh, and why? Well, when I was about a week old, I stopped breathing while I was sleeping. And thank God it was in the middle of the day and my mother and my grandmother were there. And my grandmother did CPR on me and they rushed me to the hospital. And every time I would fall asleep, I would stop breathing. So for the first six months of my life, I had to be hooked up to a heart rate monitor. And when I would stop breathing, the heart rate monitor alarm would go off and my parents would wake me up and I would gasp for air and I'd be fine. It was just like, I didn't know how to sleep and breathe at the same time. So this was one of my biggest fears is having a baby and the baby having the same condition that I did. The Owlette sock is a heart rate monitor and pulse oximeter. So it just fits on your baby's foot. And if the heart rate goes below a certain level or above a certain level, an alarm will go off. Never once has the alarm gone off. But I bet you sleep a lot better. Sleep so much better. So for the first two weeks that I had Sage, of course, I kept on checking to make sure the sock was working. There's an app and you can look and you can see your heart rate. And you can see if the baby is sleeping or awake based on the movement. And after about two weeks, I started to trust it, that it was going to work. and. After that, you know, new mom sleeping through the night. And Sage was such a good sleeper. She, at four weeks, was sleeping four hours a night. Five weeks, five hours. Six weeks, six hours. Stop listening, everyone. (laughs) By eight weeks, she was sleeping eight hours straight. (laughs) I'm just kidding. If that's not your story, that's okay. (laughs) Honestly, you know, I told Sage when she was in the womb that it's just me and her. And as a single mom, I needed her to be a good girl. Yeah. And she's taking care of mama. So, well, we're going to think all those hypnobirthing classes helped. 
Yeah, they hypnotized her while she was in there too, like to chill out mode. And let's not forget, her sperm donor is the chill skateboarder. Yes. Well, I'm going to link to that sock owlet in the show notes so that if anyone wants to add that to their registry, they can. Susie, it's been amazing having you on and these two incredible episodes. And just thank you for letting me be part of your journey. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Sindel and Ben, for sponsoring this episode with Stork Exchange. Everyone, don't forget to go to storkexchange.co and use code BIRTHSTORY for 20% off. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.